Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to The Ace, Alex Cardinal Entertainment Network, with your host, the crazy Alex Cardinal from Springfield, Massachusetts. You can expect the unexpected on The Ace Network. Now, on to today's show. You are listening to The Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. The Alex Cardinelli Show is a talk show that will talk about anything and everything from WWE wrestling to movie reviews to politics to even current news and events. You will get your entertainment and news sick. Alex Cardinelli promises to deliver a quality talk show that you will enjoy. Alex will share topics you want to hear with a young man's point of view. So what do you have to say? Do you, the listener, want a piece of the action? We'll get in on the action by calling into the talk show at 1-347-989-8142. Are you ready for a fun talk show? Then let's get on to Alex Cardinelli, who is live right now at Ace Network Studios. Take it away, Alex. Do you love to cook and bake? Do you love getting in the kitchen and creating some magic? Or are you someone who wants to cook but doesn't know how? Well, you're tuned into the right place. You're tuned into Cooking with Alex Cardinelli right here on Ace Network. Alex is a former chef with six years of culinary experience plus lifelong cooking memory he has from his mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. Alex will teach you to cook with tasty tips and tricks and his many delicious recipes. So who is ready to cook? I bet you're hungry, so let's get into the kitchen. Here's Chef Alex. Hello, everyone, and welcome live to Cooking with Alex Cardinelli here on the Ace Network. I'm very happy to be uh, doing my cooking show here on Ace Network. Now, you guys know I am a chef, and I love cooking, so I'm very happy to have a cooking show here on the Ace Network. Matter of fact, I believe that I'm one of the only networks that has a cooking show here on Blog Talk Radio, and I'm very, very excited about that. So it's an honor of mine to have a cooking show here on the Ace Network. Anyways, I'm your host, Alex Cardinelli, and thank you for joining the Ace Network on this fine Friday evening. Hope you guys have an awesome weekend in store, and I want to thank you for participating to this show, whether you're listening live or you're listening to the archived version of today's show. Now today, I'm going to introduce you guys to a wonderful chef that I have met a couple years ago. He's a great man, and I'm very happy to have the opportunity to have met him. He is an ACF certified chef. Yes, that's right. He's American Culinary Foundation certified, which he's he's a very big chef, so I'm happy to have him on the Ace Network every single Friday. So this is actually going to be a series of shows as opposed 
opposed to just one show. We're going to have a whole series every Friday night here on the Ace Network. We're going to have Chef George Norell on the show, and he's an awesome guest, so uh, I'm very happy to have him on the Ace Network. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and welcome Chef George Norell to the Ace Network and all my wonderful listeners who have the opportunity to meet Chef George. So listeners, please welcome Chef George to the show. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm ready for a great show. I've, I've missed you on the on the radio. It's been about a year or two that I had last had you on the show. You were on the Chef Cardinale cooking show, so you made that popular. Now you're going to make the Ace Network popular. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be on the Ace Network now, and I've uh, missed uh, having our uh, weekly cooking shows. I did, too. So how are you doing? It's been a while. Uh, I'm I'm doing great now. And, uh, I've been a busy, busy boy down here uh, in the Florida Keys. Uh, its season is just winding down, and uh, we're all uh, starting to catch our breath uh, from how busy it's been down here. That's good, though. It's always good to keep busy. You're making a lot of money, Dennis. You're making a lot of business at your uh, restaurant. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, our restaurant is uh, Tiki's Sandbar. It's on Little Porch, uh, about uh, mile marker 28 and a half. It's uh, 28, and that's 28 miles away from uh, Key West. And uh, our uh, all our sales uh, reps are telling us that uh, our restaurant is competing with the best of the Key West restaurants now. That's awesome. So uh, tonight, Chef George is going to cover how he became a chef, what he's like, what he likes about being a chef, and then I'll talk about his time at different restaurants, and I'll tell you guys some tips for people who want to learn how to cook. And then finally, the topic that I've been waiting to hear about is he's going to discuss how he resurrected his current restaurant from making $800 per day to $3,000 per hour. So that's going to be awesome. And I know uh, Chef George Norell has plenty of recipes that he's going to share tonight, right? Oh, absolutely, Alex. Awesome. Now, uh, our listeners can call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. So if you want to learn how to cook or you want to ask an ACF certified chef a question, you can go ahead and call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two, and uh, we'll love to answer your question. I know Chef George would love to answer any of your Questions. So, listeners, go ahead and call in one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. So, let's go ahead and get started because we got a lot to discuss. Chef uh, George, would you mind telling us for, how, first to start us off how you became a chef? How I became a chef? Well, that's a long story. I've been uh, cooking for about thirty-two years now, Alex. Uh, I started out uh, pot washer uh, back in high school, making $2 an hour. Uh, the dishwasher was my boss, and as far as I was concerned, uh, the fry cook was God. <laughs> and um, I uh, had a talent uh, in the kitchen. I moved up pretty quickly. I uh, had cooked pretty steadily. Uh, all my life, and then uh, back in um, 
in the early 90s, I started traveling uh, the country uh, to work seasons. Now, I already had about 15 years in restaurants in, uh, Mexico, in just about every restaurant uh, scenario you can imagine. Uh, I uh, spent a lot of time uh, working in the uh, steakhouses back in Texas, and uh, that's a very uh, useful skill to learn um, being a grill cook just by knowing your meat temperatures and how to organize your grill and how to handle volume. And uh, so I started traveling uh, to around around the country. My first my first trip out was to Boston, and um, I spent about two weeks there job shopping. And um, with my first big interview, I'm not going to name the restaurant to save them embarrassment. <laughs> but um, I already had a pretty impressive uh, resume as a cook, and um, I met the sous chef of the restaurant. Big. Italian restaurant in, in Boston, and uh, he was very excited to have me, and he was showing me around, and he was telling me this and telling me that, and he he really just, um, I, I assumed I had the job, and so did he, and then the executive chef came in, uh, and he says, you're George Norell? I said, yes, I am, sir. He goes, uh, you're from Texas? I said, yes, I am. He goes, we don't have a job for you because there aren't any restaurants in Texas. <laughs> And um, I ran into quite a bit of that uh, prejudice in Boston several years ago, and then um, I finally gave up. I was at the uh, uh, bus station in Boston. I was about to head back to Texas uh, defeated, and I picked up a newspaper, and I saw there was a Help Wanted ad up on Cape Cod, and I called the guy up, and I told him about myself. You know, and he says, that sounds good. Why don't you come down and uh, we'll find a job for you. I, said, I just said, I have one question for you. Do you have any uh, prejudice against Texans? And he laughed. He goes, well, if your chili's good, you can stay. And so, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> so I uh, bought my bus ticket and went to East Ham, uh, Cape Cod, got a job there, and worked the seasons. And while I was there... Um, uh, one of my trips uh, to Hyannis, I met an executive chef from the Penguin, um, a restaurant in Hyannis, and he was the president of the local chapter of the American Culinary Federation. And uh, we got we became friends, and so he sponsored me into the American Culinary Federation um, because of, I already had 15 years uh, under my belt in restaurants, so I naturally got into that. Um, then I became a, a certified executive chef and culinary instructor for the uh, Colorado Institute of Culinary Arts. Uh, that was my last job before I moved to the Keys. And uh, so it's been a very interesting experience. I've gotten to uh, study with a two, uh, ma- a study under two master chefs, one from the Cool Down Bleu, and another one from uh, Florence, Sidley. And uh, I've uh, gotten to meet several uh, chefs along the way, Mario Batali, uh, A.J. Black from El Tesoro in New York City, uh, Paul Prudhomme, Justin Wilson, and uh, even Emeril Lagasse. 
Oh, nice. That's pretty cool. You met some of the, the best chefs in the world. That's awesome, man. Well, you know, and I, I started traveling. And once once I got my credentials um, from the ACF, it's, you know, it's like a passport. Um, you know, and then I wound up as the executive chef at Galatoire's in uh, New Orleans on Bourbon Street, one of the big three restaurants in the French Quarter of, you know, Galatoire's, Arnaud's, and Antoine's. And at that time, Emerald was still the executive chef at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. So, you know, we were all, there were several of us there in New Orleans. So this is about 97 to 2000. Oh, nice. So it's not that long ago. It's only like 15 years or so. Yeah, that was, yeah. It it doesn't seem that long ago, honestly. Uh, Time can really fly. I know that's it's sad that time flies by so fast. Oh yeah, and uh, I was even on Good Morning America with Regis Philbin uh, there at the Galatoire's, and I was like, "Are you going to let this man in my kitchen and put a put, put a knife in this man's hand?" Really? <laughs> I want you. To, <laughs> I want you to feel about that. <laughs> that must have been fun, though. You're on TV cooking. Something you love, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, like, uh, was, was it last year that I made the, that, because of our show, um, we got, the Cooking Channel got interested in us, and then uh, I made a video for the uh, Food Network, and uh, the Food Network has asked me to do another video for them, but I've just been too busy. Uh, <laughs> right now to uh, to make those videos, although I do have the permission from my owners, the owners of the restaurant, that I can do uh, instructional videos and cooking videos uh, in the kitchen after hours in the in the restaurant. Oh, that's awesome! That sounds like a good deal for you. You should create a YouTube channel and uh, do some instructional videos for your YouTube channel. I think you're going to get a lot of views. Yeah, I hope so. I'm excited. I think we'll do a, a better production uh, this time, and uh, I hope we get a lot of views in there. It'll give it'll give my restaurant uh, uh, viewers a chance to see our restaurant. We're right there on the water. Uh, we have a beach, you know, and every Sunday we have beach parties, live music. I do cookouts. In fact, this weekend I'm doing a big, uh, we're having a paddle boat race uh, off our beach. Uh, this Sunday, and I'm doing uh, fajitas. I'm going to make a, uh, my special margarita fajitas. I'm doing um, uh, my Spanish rice and frijoles, you know, and we're we're expecting several hundred people there. Nice. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to watch your videos because your, your videos are going to be awesome. What are you going to name your, your channel? Oh, well, I was, I was, remember, I was, I was wanting to post them on, on your website, so... Our viewers can look at those videos, and then we can discuss those uh, videos on the on the on the radio show. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. That's going to be awesome. I could do that for you. Well, I remember because last year you asked uh, if um, I could do a show on about uh, using knives, the proper way to handle knives, and. Uh, I said, well, we need a video for that, but I didn't have a venue 
to make that video, but now I have a venue to make those videos. So anytime we want to do uh, talk about uh, instructional um, kitchen etiquette and uh, procedures, now we can just make a video about it, post it on the website, and then talk about it for the show. Yeah, it sounds like a plan. We can do that, and then uh, that'll be a good way to, to get views for your restaurant, too. So I'll put it on my website, and I'll put it on my YouTube for you. Yeah, absolutely. The owners and everybody are excited uh, about this whole thing. So uh, we're very happy about uh, your getting on the network and on Ace Network and everything. Yeah, that's awesome. When they when they told me and I had to have a chef, I was like, I have to go with Chef George Norell because he's a ECF certified. He's one of the top chefs in America. So I chose you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, about the back to the main topic of the show we were going to talk about. Um, back in October, me and a couple of other gentlemen, one of them, he's a managing uh, partner of the restaurant. Um, back in October, and he's from um, he's from uh, Tony Romas. His father owns Tony Romas, so this man has been in the industry for quite a long time, as well as my friend Jeff. And um, the owners hired us uh, to come in and uh, change things up. Uh, the restaurant wasn't functioning very well, um, and so we came in and started. Uh, started to work and uh honestly uh it was a very dysfunctional restaurant it the uh, kitchen looked like a cave it was disorganized you know it's kind of like the uh inmates running the asylum <laughs> and so what we did is that um uh, first of all we uh started uh, looking at the menus we uh looked at the cost analysis, the um, food cost, that's the percentage of money that if you say you have a $10 menu item and it's costing you $7 to make it, you have a 70% food cost, and that's no good. That's, that's because then you throw in your labor and your utilities, and now you're losing money just because your food cost is too high. So we... Um, went back and uh, re-examined everything and uh, rewrote the menu, brought the food cost down to a tw an average of 25%, which is a very good food cost. And, of course, we do still have a couple of loss leaders. Loss leaders are menu items that um, have a, a higher than average um, food cost on the menu, but they uh, – they're sort of like centerpiece items that people like to come and see. You know, one person in a party of seven will come buy that one lost leader, and then the rest of the party, on average, will buy the other menu items. So as a whole, you have, you're still running very food, uh, very good food costs. And that was uh, one of the major uh, obstacles of uh, redesigning that restaurant. Another one was uh, functionality. The uh, kitchen itself was just completely uh, uh, badly arranged. And uh, the flow of the food, um, uh, the way that each menu item 
require different things from all different stations. We have three basic stations in the restaurant. We have a pantry slash fry station. We have the grill station, and then we have the saute station. And the major goal there was that any given menu item would just would just require the service of one, maybe two stations maximum. So, and that cuts down a lot of what we call cross cross cutting in the kitchen, and it makes the flow easier on everybody, and uh, it cuts down on chaos and uh, unnecessary communication, so you can stay more focused on what it is you're doing. That's awesome. Sounds like you did a great job at that restaurant. Oh, uh, it was, uh, and uh, once 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 we started uh, moving, um, and the owners saw that we were really accomplishing what we were said we could do, we would go to them and ask them uh, to do this or do that, and they would just in a heartbeat. We need a we need a, a five we need a five thousand dollar reach in cooler on the line. You know, next week that, that cooler's in the kitchen. We need another window cut in this wall to, uh, so we can put out the salads and cold foods and instead of just uh, one window with uh, heat lamps for the hot food. They, cut, they, they went and they cut another window into that wall, expanded the kitchen. They bought us uh, new equipment. We rearranged it. Uh, and now, you know, from where you would have trouble just just getting out eight hundred dollars worth of food in the evening. Now we can we're that kitchen's capable of three thousand dollar hours, and so the uh, functionality, the food cost, the efficiency, and the culture of that kitchen has changed. It's the original people there are no longer there because you know you you. In those kind of situations, I'm sure you've seen in those uh, Hell's Kitchens or where that that uh, television show where he goes in and rescues restaurants. There's usually, it's usually a culture of entitlement with these people, and they think that they they deserve to have that job. They're entitled to that job, and they don't really care about what it is they're doing because they just they 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 know that they have an automatic job. And they don't have to really worry about what you want them to do. Well, <laughs> that doesn't work out very well when you want to start having a top-notch restaurant. You know, you uh, you can't have that sense of entitlement, and hence those people are no longer there. So you, as well as the the food cost and functionality of the kitchen. You have to change the culture of the kitchen. You have to make the people hungry. You have to make the people uh, give them uh, a reason to come to work. You know, give them goals, give them uh, new responsibilities, make them feel like they're well. You know, and train people. You know, because they know they're going to come to to this kitchen. They're going to learn new things. They're going to learn new skills, and that makes them hungry to come to work. You know, and that also, as they learn new skills, they earn more money. And so that works for everybody. Yeah, that's very true. 
So you did a fantastic job turning the restaurant around. I have to give you a lot of respect and a lot of uh, commitment for that. You did a fantastic job. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking after this gig, I'll probably, uh, once we get that restaurant up and, and running, you know, ready for next season and have it completely uh, restaffed and have everybody trained, I'm seriously considering uh, starting my own consulting business um, where I'll just get hired to come and uh, basically do what I did here at Kiki's and just revamp uh, Kitchens in Trouble, you know. But uh, this time I'll just I'll be there for three months, get it done, and get out. You know, I won't have as much skin in the game as I do here because I'm – um, they're all of us, um, especially, uh, the, uh, Jeff and I are, we're doing, we're doing 70, 80 hour a week and, and the, the volume is just insane. It's exhausting. And, uh, we have huge, um, a huge percentage of, uh, big groups. I mean, like, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 people, uh, 25 top, um, it's uh, very. Uh, it's, it's like the highest. It's almost like a convention center sometimes. You know, you don't have one or two people come in. You have twelve or twenty come in at a time, and we can seat that restaurant. It'll, my our 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 unofficial logo or saying at the restaurant is we're slow until we're not, because that place can be empty at five fifteen, and by five twenty five. We'll have 130 people sat. That's awesome. So, what do, you, what do you guys serve for food? Do you do American food, or do you have a whole bunch of uh, different menus? Oh, uh, we have we have a a lot of uh, fusion uh, menu items. We have we have uh, our steaks. We have a lot of Caribbean influence, of course, because you people uh, come down to the Keys. Uh, for mainly seafood, of course, and um, they're they're not going to be expecting something that you would find in Portland or or Boston. They're coming down here. You know, we're just we're we're just uh, ninety ninety miles away from Havana, Cuba, and um, so they're expecting uh, a lot of Cuban influence, a lot of Caribbean influence, local fish, local produce. You know, we have the mangoes and pineapples and the key limes, and uh, so there's a, and there's and and uh, plantains. So we have we have to blend a lot of that uh, sometimes with the uh, Asian flavors, sometimes with the uh, uh, Jamaican flavors. I use a lot of uh, uh, New Orleans uh, influence on uh, some of the dishes. And so it's it's, a, it's it's quite an eclectic uh, menu. Sounds like a great menu. I, I I bet you got a lot of fresh seafood, and I bet fresh seafood's a top seller down there because Florida has some wonderful seafood. Oh, absolutely! And um, uh, our yellowtail snapper is a huge uh, seller. Uh, grouper, uh, like the black grouper, has just come back into season, 
so we're just now getting the black grouper in. Tuna, of course, uh, yellowfin tuna is huge. And um, hogfish, we can't keep it in the house. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I love seafood, so I bet you make some delicious seafood. Oh, yeah, I know, absolutely. And uh, we're hoping that uh, this summer we'll finally, uh, after we catch our breath, and uh, we're still looking for uh, more help. It's, it's very hard. Uh, the labor pool down here is basically ankle deep, and so it's really hard to find uh, people who can uh, who can manage that kind of volume and be responsible and, and, and have talent down here. It's not like Martha's Vineyard where I used to work, you know, where every position in the restaurant, there's a stack of 60 resumes, you know, for that, for, for every job. And you have to be, you have to be really, really good to get a job in a Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, Cape Cod, Boston, where I've worked, you know. And uh, but you don't see that kind of talent down here, uh, partly because the housing is so difficult. But the housing's difficult up there too. So uh, there, we don't get a lot of uh, seasonal chefs like you do up uh, on Martha's Vineyard in uh, that area. That's awesome. I'm still amazed that you were able to turn that restaurant around to making three thousand dollars an hour. That's a fantastic job. You did a great job with that. Yeah, um, it was about, oh, goodness, uh, three or four weeks ago, I think, was our peak. And um, our top sales for a day was $17,000. And that week, we did $70,000 in sales. And that beat the previous year by uh, $26,000. Just for the week. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're really uh, feel good about what we accomplished, and uh, we're trying to get that place up in uh, ship shape. And we've been concerned about uh, health inspections, you know. So we've really been doubling up on uh, watching everybody, making sure every, everything is 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 up to snuff. And then yesterday morning, sure enough, here comes the health inspector, and um, he said that was the cleanest restaurant he's ever seen down here in the Keys. That's awesome. So oh, you have yeah. a very nice we, kitchen then. We were thrilled. We were we were very thrilled. Uh, you know, after especially what, considering what we had to start with, you know, and then and then get that compliment from the health inspector. We were, that made everybody's day right there. Yeah, that's that's great. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about about that, uh, the restaurant? Sir? Huh? Is there anything else you'd like to talk about for uh, your resurrecting of the restaurant? Uh, no, I think I think that's, that's pretty good. What uh, You wanted to go ahead and uh, talk about some menu items. Yeah, go ahead. That sounds great, sir. Well, um... I could start with a couple of the specials that I've been making the uh, last couple of months. Uh, we'll get uh, some, uh, like last, uh, well, it was about two weeks ago, we got some swordfish in. And um, 
what I went and I did is I made a uh, Israeli couscous peel off for that, and then uh, a glazed pineapple um, topping for it, and uh, so that was our special. The uh, Israeli couscous is not like a. Uh, are you familiar with the Israeli couscous? No, actually, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, are you familiar with the Moroccan couscous, the, the natural grain? Yeah, I know that one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love, I love uh, that couscous. Uh, well, the Israeli couscous is actually a pasta uh, made from that uh, the natural grain of couscous. It's uh, it looks like little pearls, um, a slightly yellowish, whitish. Uh, Pearl about the size of a BB. It's a it's a wonderful alternate starch. Has a lot of different uses, and um, so and it cooks uh, similar uh, similar to pasta to to, to most uh, wheat pastas that, that you are familiar with. And uh, my uh, my the peel off I made. I like if I'm cooking. Um, with uh, seafood, then I'll like to use a beef base in my in my uh, rice peel off or my couscous to sort of give the dish a kind of a surf and turf feel about it. And so, um, for your listeners at home, if you wanted to try my this couscous peel off, what you would like to do is to start off with about uh, two cups of Israeli couscous. Um, two and a half cups of beef broth. Now, if you're using um, beef base, if you, you know, beef bouillon flavor, the two and a half cups of water, then you'll probably have enough salt in that uh, so that you don't have to uh, add any more. But if you're going to use a, a beef broth from a can, you'll probably want to add some salt uh, to taste on that. So what you do is you start out with a half a cup of uh, diced white onions, a half a cup of uh, diced celery, and a half a cup of uh, red bell pepper. Get a little um, butter, saute that up. Uh, you you want to sweat those vegetables to uh, start to caramelize them and bring out the flavor. You know, and you'll do that by adding a, a teaspoon of a chopped garlic and a one teaspoon of a whole thyme. And then when the vegetables are ready, you'll go ahead and add those uh, two and a half cups of beef broth and the two cups of couscous and bring that to a boil. And the couscous will sit there and absorb that water. And when it's done, it will have a just a slight uh, starchy broth to it. And it's... Uh, the you'll want that uh, couscous to be just a little el dente, not too much, not overcooked. So um, that uh, for those who haven't uh, worked with couscous, it's um, it may take a little practice, but couscous it cooks very quickly because of its size, and it's very easy to work with, and it's uh, and it's a really wonderful alternate starch to your standard pastas or rice. Anyway, 
So now we're going to go on to the glazed pineapple. And what you'll do there is you'll take, um, you'll want to dice that up into uh, uh, probably about uh, slices that are about an inch thick and a half an inch thick. Uh, half, let's say one more time, an inch long and a half inch thick. And uh, you'll want to saute those and caramelize them with a little bit of butter until they start to brown and 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 start to uh, work that sugar out of the pineapple. Meanwhile, you, while you're doing that, you're going to take um, two cups of white wine, a half a teaspoon of chopped garlic, a half teaspoon of cracked red pepper, and two bay leaves. Get that to boil and start reducing that wine by half. When uh, that's accomplished, you want to want to add two cups of pineapple juice, a quarter cup of honey, and then uh, add two cups of that caramelized fresh pineapple. And let that reduce a little bit till it starts to thicken up a little bit until the moisture reduces by about a third. And then you're going to take some uh, cornstarch and water, make a nice little slurry out of that, and then add that to the mixture until the uh, juice starts to uh, thicken up almost like a gel. Now, we're going to take the swordfish and we're going to uh, season it with a little Old Bay, salt, and the black pepper. We're going to toss that on a broiler, grill that, uh, to a nice consistency. We're going to put the couscous in a, in a bowl, lay the swordfish over that, and then top that off with the glazed pineapple. And there's your uh, special. That sounds like a great special. It sounds awesome. The swordfish is one of my personal favorite fish of uh, all time. It tastes good. Yeah, it's amazingly enough, swordfish is a local fish around here, but it it doesn't generally sell uh, very well. So I really have to. I really have to. When we do get the swordfish in, I really have to go over bend over backwards just to make sure. <laughs> I come up with a special that will catch people's attention. Up in uh, up on Marker's Vineyard or Nantucket, you know, you can't keep swordfish in the house because it's just like a standard fare. But they, it, it doesn't. You generally don't see too much swordfish in the restaurants down here in the Florida Keys. Awesome. Do you guys ever sell tuna? Do you cook tuna in your restaurant? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! We 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 keep uh we keep tuna um in house all the time and and we just uh have a we 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 sell it as as sushi we we sear it and sell it as a stir fry uh oh my gosh we just uh yeah we we sell a lot of tuna Yeah, tuna is one of my favorite fish to eat because it's got a nice flavor. I prefer the fresh tuna over that canned garbage. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. In fact, uh, we'll see what we we buy. We buy tuna loin and uh, process those into tuna steaks, and then the, the trimmings off the uh, off the uh, tuna loins 
we process into what we call a, one of our dishes, a tuna pokey. A tuna pokey is a um, fried wontons. We'll take the we'll take the fresh raw tuna and blend it, or just uh, hit it with a little bit of what we call pokey sauce. It's the uh, it's soy sauce and sesame seeds, and we'll just just like uh, marinate it for like ten seconds in that uh, soy sauce. Place that on top of uh, the wonton chips with a sliver of uh, pickled ginger and cilantro, and then we'll use um, a mustard cream and a, a red pepper soy. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll use a uh, wasabi cream, coconut wasabi cream, uh, for the for the sauces on it. And uh, we sell those tuna pokey appetizers uh, like absolutely crazy. Nice. That sounds awesome. Sounds like something I want to come up there and try. <laughs> well, you're you're more than welcome to. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll have our, our restaurant's location posted on your website soon. Awesome. Sounds great. I'll have to come up there and try it. I'm, I'm actually thinking about moving down to Florida because uh, I'm sick and tired of the snow up here in Massachusetts <laughs> during our harsh winters. <laughs> yeah, um... Yeah, I know. That's what we we were we were watching the we were watching all the fun from down here in in the Keys during those big storms, you know. <laughs> Commenting on that because you know the last job I had here was at, was a, up in Colorado at twelve thousand feet at, at a ski lodge, and that's why I decided to come down here to the Florida Keys because I'd had enough of that, you know. In the, in the day, <laughs> yeah, it sounds dangerous. And the day I left my hometown Amarillo uh, to come to the Keys after I it was finished with my job in Colorado, the day I left Amarillo to come to the Keys, it was eight below in the middle of a blizzard. Oh gosh, I know that feeling. It's really cold, and I hate the snow, and it's like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my well, my hometown Amarillo—that's it's one of the coldest and hottest spots in Texas. You know, it gets over. It'll get way up into the hundreds during the summer, and then it'll get, you know, 20 below in in, in winter. Yeah, <laughs> that must suck for you. Yeah. Well, it doesn't anymore because I'm down in the Florida Keys, so. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> hey, do you mind if we take our first commercial break? Oh, go ahead. All right, so this commercial break is being sponsored by our fishkeeping friends and our uh, fishkeeping friends make sure our show stays premium, so I'm very thankful for that. This commercial break is being sponsored by Akari Seals USA, School of Fish, Inc., Ichaban Tropical Fish, North Texas Holy Rock, DMV Aquatics, and Freshwater Fish Freaks. So if any one of our listeners are fish keepers, be sure to check all these sponsors out, and I'm sure you guys will like all of these sponsors. So we're talking with ACF Certified Chef George Norell right here on Cooking with Alex Cardinelli on the Ace Network, and we're learning a lot about uh, cooking and stuff. I really do enjoy this show. And coming up next, we're going to continue our discussion on culinary arts and cooking with Chef George and Rail right after our commercial break. And Chef George and Rail is going to share some cooking tips with our listeners. 
And I know some of you guys probably not might be uh, culinary arts uh, smart, so we're going to tell you guys some awesome cooking tips for beginners, and we'll have some recipes for you right after the commercial break. So stick around, and again, you can call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two with any questions you might have on cooking or baking. And we're also going to hear a song during this commercial break called Living Sing by ELO. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. Hikari offers a wide selection of aquatic diets to help you and your fishy friend find success. With more than 137 years of aquatic experience, Hikari was the originator of species-specific diets long before others thought it was important or trendy and the first to bring unique products to fish keepers like algae wafers, the world's first diet specifically formulated for Picosinus, Micropellets, the world's first micro-coated aquatic diet for tropical fish, Saki Ikari, the world's first probiotic-enhanced diet for koi, goldfish, cichlid, and now turtles, and Biopure, the world's cleanest and most nutrition-packed frozen and freeze-dried foods, industry trendsetters when they were first introduced. When you're looking for the best aquatic diets your hard-earned money can buy for your aquatic pets, look no further than Hikari. Your fish and your wallet will be forever grateful. School of Fish, Inc. offers everything an aquarium hobbyist in western Massachusetts needs. We offer the best of livestock from freshwater to saltwater and everything in between. We also have the best corals and live rock. School of Fish, Inc. carries the best brands of fish food, medications, and equipment such as Hikari, Tetra, Marineland, API, and much more. Stop by and check us out today. School of Fish, Inc. located at 1865 Page Boulevard, Springfield, Massachusetts, and we can be reached at 413-543-1994. We're open Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, closed Tuesdays. Check out School of Fish, Inc. That's School of Fish, I-N see on Facebook for exclusive deals, specials, and see what's new. It's your band, Tropical Fish. It's proud to partner with the Aquatic Wetline online radio. Ichiban Tropical Fish brings to you exotic and rare tropical fish shipped straight to your door. Stingrays, datnoids, peacock bass, arowanas, and much more. If you are into rare and exotic fish, we have the fish just for you. For more information, check out our website, itchabandtropical.com, and also check us out on Monster Fish Keepers, Itchabound Tropical Fish. North Texas Holy Rock, providing the world the finest holy rock, one rock at a time. Satisfaction guaranteed. Whether you're looking for a small, single piece, or 200 pounds to set up your first MB Una tank, North Texas Holy Rock can provide you what you need. You will not find a company that offers the same level of customer service or an owner who truly enjoys setting up your tank as if it were his own. North Texas Holy Rock also offers all related aquarium supplies and accessories. Find us on the web at ntholyrocks.com. That's N-T-H-O-L-E-Y-R-O-C-K.com. North Texas Holy Rock.
DMV Aquatics is a proud sponsor of the Aquatic Wetline online radio show. After the show, stop by DMVAquatics.com where we offer top-of-the-line crayfish at rock-bottom prices. We also provide information and tools to help you become a crayfish king. Enjoy the rest of the show. Freshwater fish lovers. Are you on Facebook right now? I bet you are. Come check out the wonderful group called Freshwater Fish Freaks, which has over 2,000 freshwater fish freaks. Whatever you see, community fish, monster fish, oddball fish, or even goldfish, all freshwater fish keepers are welcome. Open arms. You will not find another group with such wonderful freshwater bodies who share their love of the honey. So type in that search bar on Facebook, Freshwater Fish Week, and click join to be part of this awesome Freshwater Fish Week on Facebook. So, Freshwater Fish Week, are you waiting for Come check us out.
You are now tuned back into the Alex Cardinelli Show, live with your host, Alex Cardinelli. We hope you enjoyed our nice music and commercial break and are ready for some fun discussion. What is Alex going to chat about now? Get involved with social media and tweet your thoughts on tonight's topic. Tweet to at Alex Cardinelli 1, capital A in Alex and C in Cardinelli. Now let's get back to the action. Here's Alex live from the Blog Talk Radio Studio in Springfield, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the very first Cooking with Alex Cardinelli series here on the Alex Cardinelli Show, live on the Ace Network. And tonight we're debuting our brand new series called Chef George Norell Hour with the host, Chef George Norell, who, by the way, is ACF certified. And we're having a fantastic first show. We're learning a lot. So far we discussed how Chef George resurrected his restaurant from making $800 a week or $800 an hour to over $3,000 an hour, which is uh, kind of awesome. So that's great. And we talked about cooking, and we even talked about fresh seafood and more. So this has been a fantastic first show. Now we're getting ready to talk about uh, what it's like to be a chef for all those of our listeners who are not in the culinary arts field so they can get a feel of what it's like to be a chef. And then we'll talk about tips for new beginners who are entering into the world of cooking, the fun world of cooking, and we'll also have some uh, recipes and stuff. Now, for all my listeners who are listening live, don't forget, I always take live callers. So if you guys have any questions on cooking or baking or you'd like to ask a chef a question on cooking, please go ahead and call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. That number again is one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. I would like to uh, answer your calls. We love callers here on the ACE Network. So again, you can ask any cooking or baking questions you might have or ask uh, Chef George Norell a question. That's going to be uh, fantastic. So I can't wait to see if we get any callers tonight. But let's get back into our topics for tonight. And I think we'll start, start by talking about what it's like to work as a chef in a restaurant. And since uh, Chef George Norell is an ECF certified chef, he's going to be the one answering his question. So, Chef George, what is it like to be working in a kitchen as a, as a chef from your point of view to our listeners who uh, have different careers? Well, being a chef uh, is a very demanding, uh, very demanding profession. It can be uh, long hours. It can be uh, exhaustive, and it's very physical, very physical. Uh, uh, fact about, uh, I have a reconstructed, my left shoulder is reconstructed, and it's held together with uh, uh, bolts and uh, bone blocks and stuff like that. And every once in a while, uh, in the middle of a season, my body will just get so exhausted that my shoulder can't support itself anymore. And so I ended up for a couple of days, uh, I had to I had to come to work with my uh, arm in a sling, <laughs> and so I just had like one and a half hands to work with, but I still had to do everything I would normally do. But my arm just uh, at the peak of the season is just so exhausting, so physically demanding. Um, but uh, to be a chef requires a uh, not only uh, being, um, but it requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of different knowledge. Uh, one of the one of the reasons why I uh, started traveling the country um, 20 years ago 
was to see different things, to experience different foods and see different cultures. And that gives you a, a, a really good uh, perspective. You know, if you grew up in a, in a small town in Texas like I did, you're not likely to see a whole lot of different kinds of food. You're going to be very familiar with with uh, steaks, barbecue, and Mexican food, but you're not likely to run across any good Cajun cuisine, any uh, New England uh, clam chowders or uh, fresh seafood or uh, Jamaican uh, or uh, Caribbean-style food. So it helps to uh, have a, a very uh, creative or and kind of like you're an explorer for food, you know, you have to get out there and explore what's out there to 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 give your understanding of food more depth and more breadth. And the more you learn about the foods and understand more recipes, you can understand what works with what food, and you can start to create your own dishes. It's almost like Mario uh, Batali said, uh, you know, most chefs are good chefs, you know, and but in order to become a great chef, you have to take that, that leap uh, of faith. You know, you have to get out there and really, you have to push yourself. You have to be able to explore new ideas. If you want to be a great idea, a great chef, and then as you evolve your understanding of any given cuisine um, and master it, then you can start to work and put your own signature on those foods, just like I do. I have I've taken classical dishes and put my own uh, signature on them, and that's what a great chef does. That's awesome. Well, we got a question from one of our live listeners who uh, can't call in today. His name is Jeff. He's actually one of my best friends, and uh, he says he would call in, but he can't, so he wants to ask a question from the chat room, which is totally fine. Um, he wants to know, what was the first dish you learned to cook? <laughs> the, first, the first dish I learned to cook, it, it's funny, it's the same, it's the same um, dish that I often cook at home. Uh, it's what I call pan chili. Um, it's uh, ground beef, onions, peppers, uh, with some garlic, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with these breads. It's called uh, ranch-style beans, and um, it's a it's a it's like a quick 15-minute uh, chili-like dish that you make in your uh, in in a, in a small sauté pan, and it's one actually one I to this day it's one of my staples. Uh, on on my rare day off. It sounds good. It sounds like a kick-ass chili. I have to try it. <laughs> yeah, it's, like I said, it's, it's still one of my staples. I I learned I learned how to make that when I was about ten years old. Just uh, my mom was always working, and I had to uh, fend for myself, and I just threw what I could what, what I could find together in a pan, and it turned out to be one of my longtime favorites. Yeah, it sounds delicious. I like I like any kind of chili, but I prefer my chili a little on the sweeter side because I'm not a big spicy fan. I don't like things spicy. Oh, I love uh, that. That's one problem I uh, I'm having trouble finding down here. I like I like a really really spicy foods. I like to go to a Thai restaurant and order 
I want to have that food just take my breath away, you know, and I'm having a lot of trouble finding, I'm uh, finding a restaurant like that down here. Yeah, that must suck. <laughs> now, the, the same listener wants to know if uh, you guys sell a lot of crab cakes at your restaurant. No, we don't. We have them on occasion. Uh, your crab cakes are not as common down here as they would be uh, up on the on the on Cape Cod or, or Martha's Vineyard or Boston up that area. Uh, I have done uh, some crab cake Oscars uh, down here uh, for specials, but they're not a regular menu item. Yeah, they're actually pretty good. I can't have them anymore because I'm allergic to shellfish, but they are a good uh, good thing to have if you can eat shellfish. Yeah, I, I like a nice crab cake. I, I you know, make a nice little Bernay sauce for it and uh, serve that up with the, as an Oscar. It, it sells well. Yeah, it sounds uh, great. And he's got one more question for you. Um, have you created any, any Franken-foods? Franken foods. Oh my gosh. Uh, huh. <laughs> uh yeah, um I'm in fact I'm 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 kinda famous for it. Um uh, such as like um my lasagna soup or my hunter stew or my tilapia cancun. Um I've uh, even uh, made things like uh um what I call a Cuban soup, uh I like to take. I, I love. I love to blend, um, uh, like a New Orleans style Cajun uh, with uh, some kind of New England staple dish, and throw them together in some nouveau way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost famous for the, for my freaking foods. I've never thought of them that way. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I do that too. I actually uh, mix marinara sauce and Alfredo sauce and put that with my pasta. I think it tastes pretty good. Have mixing the Alfredo marinara together. I guess that can be considered a Franken food too. That's funny. I never thought of it like that. Uh, in, 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 in the profession, I believe it's called fusion. Yeah, fusion. There you go. Fusion cuisine. That's awesome, though. It's actually a, it's actually a funny name. Imagine going to a restaurant and it says we specialize in uh, Franken foods. <laughs> that, would, that might bring a lot of the goth people out <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point <laughs> uh, <laughs> You might get some vampires <laughs> Yeah, why is my room Why is my restaurant full of people dressed in black? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Thank you for those uh, wonderful questions, Jeff. Now, uh, do you do you like working at the chef in the restaurant? Oh, absolutely! It's uh, it's it's uh, it can be very rewarding. Like I said, it can be very trying at times. But you know, especially uh, now, um, being able to sit back and uh, look at what you've accomplished, you know, in the and 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 see the, the the value of of your hard work. You know, and the compliments that you get on, on a regular basis, you know, you get to meet a lot of people as a chef, uh, people from all over the world. You know, I, it's 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 a, it's a great way uh, to meet people. I mean, 
Um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of people I've seen over the years, um, and uh, <laughs> John Kerry is uh, who's now uh, Secretary of State is uh, someone uh, that I saw on a regular basis up on Nantucket, you know, and uh, I hadn't seen him for years until I went to uh, Denver uh, in 2008 for the National Convention, and he walked by me and he goes, George, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so, That's awesome. You're like, a, you're like a famous chef, that means. Yeah, well, I mean, the... A lot of people, uh, Terry Bradshaw, it was, it's kind of weird. Terry Bradshaw, um, I met him in a, he's a very, Terry Bradshaw is a very nice man. I met him in Denton, Texas when I was working at the small restaurant in North Texas. And he came back, he, he enjoyed what he had for dinner. So he came back into the kitchen and, you know, thank you everybody. I just love that food. That was great. You know? And then, uh, Several years later, I'm on Nantucket, and he apparently had, he really enjoyed something I had done. He came back to the kitchen, he goes, ah, that was really nice, I love that food, that was really nice, I love it, you know. And then I was in New Orleans, and he came into my kitchen again. I was like, what, are you stalking me? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. You meet all these famous people out being a chef. You you you'd be surprised. Um, I was uh, I was working uh, for the Holiday Inns. I was uh, working. I was executive sous chef for a Holiday Inns, uh, doing uh, uh, banquets and running a restaurant. And uh, we had a food show one day, and um, <clears throat> I went out to make sure all my preparations were all done and every, you know everything was up to snuff. And I saw this gentleman setting out wines on the table, you know, and I thought this was just a salesperson for, uh, for our local, um, liquor sales. And I walked up behind him and said, are you going to chambray that red wine before you serve a food show? And he turned around and goes, of course. And then he introduced himself and it was missed. Um, oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Behringer. It was Mr. Behringer of Behringer Wines. No one told me he was going to be at my food show. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, and, and... Go ahead. Oh, I was saying my, uh, my friend Jeff, the one that asked about the Frankenfood, says there's a TV show called Frankenfood. Oh, yeah? That... Yeah. You, uh, you know, as, as a... As a as a chef, you know, he, uh, over time, uh, you know, I've I've been uh, written about in uh, in newspapers. Uh, I've been on uh, CNN. Um, I've been interviewed on television, almost as often for uh, as for being a chef as I have been for my political activities. And uh, it was kind of strange up in the Keystone, Colorado, when I was executive chef there for the Vail Corporation because I'd, I'd go to work every day and I'd walk through uh, River Run Village and everybody knew who I was. They were, they were, I even had some people ask me for autographs, which I thought was kind of strange. <laughs> and uh, I'm uh, standing uh, in the coffee shop and this gentleman came up to me and he goes, uh, 
Chef Morello said yes. He goes, my little boy said he rode with rode next to you on the trolley the other day, and he was just so excited. <laughs> and he kind of got a little weird in Colorado. I'm coming like a celebrity chef or something. Yeah, you're very famous. A lot of people want your autographs. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that year, uh, we had a, a, a the Vale Corporation had a, a, a competition in my restaurant. All the all the chefs for Vale Corporation came to my uh, restaurant, and we had this big cook off. And um, my uh, my dish was uh, it was. Uh, my restaurant was near fondue Chessel, so I had to make some kind of fondue. And uh, what what I did is I ended up making uh, the fondue vessel out of uh, tomatoes. I uh, I uh, blasted them, hollowed them out, and um, covered them with the uh, olive oil and garlic, and toasted them off a little bit just so they'd be a little uh, rigid. And then I made a special smoked gouda. Uh, fondue with just a hint of thyme, and uh, I got that, and I won the competition in the Dallas, I'm uh, not the Dallas, uh, Denver, uh, Denver Post, I believe, uh, published an article about uh, my uh, winning, uh, winning dish. That's great. Sounds like you're an awesome chef, so that's fantastic to hear. Now, my next question for you would be, what are your tips for someone that wants to be a chef or wants to become a chef? Well, um, raise your expectations. You have to be, in order to be a, a chef, you have to uh, be a little bit obsessive compulsive. Uh, you have to be organized. And like a lot of my uh, uh, new employees, I have to introduce them to the concept uh, of a mise en place. That's the term for literally means means and ways. You know, and uh, you have to understand that if you're going to, uh, and it helps uh, the average person at home as well, just uh, say you're just going to bake a cake. Well, your mise en place is going to uh, include a mixer, a bowl, spatulas, flour, sugar, everything. That you not not just ingredients, but all the tools that you're going to need to make that 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 dish. The, the entire setup is your mise en place, and you don't want to be halfway into making what it is you're making, and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, where is this? And run off and have to go try to find uh, some ingredient that you forgot, you know, and then come back and what it was you're uh, making is ruined. So it's. It, to introduce the concept of a mise en place, that's part of your, uh, you have to uh, be able to plan ahead and organize your thoughts as well as your workspace. You know, a, a cluttered workspace represents a cluttered mind. And so it helps to have, to, it helps to be very organized as a chef. Yeah, that's very true. I, I was a chef for a couple of years before I found uh, radio broadcasting. It's actually a pretty cool career. I actually enjoyed it. It's pretty fun for people who love to be a hands-on. It is, it is definitely a hands-on. It is definitely a hands-on thing, and uh, you you have you have to be able to uh, plan it. You really do have to be uh, uh, organized and be able to plan. And uh, it and then you have to uh, master 
different skills, um, just like uh, what we're going, we are going to talk about um, one, one of the upcoming shows is um, knife work, how to work with a knife, you know, and uh, that's that's a very important uh, part of uh, working in the kitchen because not only is it, is it a safety issue, but also it's a production issue, and the better you can handle that knife, the better that your production is. Production is, say, um, dicing celery or processing a pineapple or or a honeydew melon. And when you're processing it, you want to minimize your waste. You want to minimize your product loss, you know. And so if you're slicing a tomato or an onion, you want to have these really beautiful slices. You don't want to have these half-sliced crescent of onion falling off, and you don't want an inch and a half thick slice of onion. You want to really minimize, um, you want to maximize presentation, and you want to minimize product loss. Very good speech. That was awesome. I learned a lot, and hopefully my listeners uh, learned a lot. And we've got another live question from the chat room, and this person wants to know, how do you cook lamb? Because lamb is awesome. How do I do what? How do you cook lamb? Lamb? Yes. Um, my uh, uh, my favorite way is to to uh, use a confit. Uh, confit is uh, when you're working uh, in a certain restaurants and you use a lot of duck. Um, as you probably know, duck uh, produces a lot of fat when it cooks. And um, it's not like bacon, bacon grease. You want to save that duck fat because it has a very unique beefy uh, flavor to it. And, it's, and, it, and it, it holds very well. And uh, what you'll want to do is infuse that duck oil with uh, fresh herbs and garlic. And then you'll uh, marinate your, say, your lamb chops in that uh, confit. And then when it's given about, give it about at least 24 hours to marinate in the confit and then braise it on a charboiler, and that is some good stuff. <laughs> awesome. So what is confit? Is that like, a, like a duck fat? Yeah, it's, it's 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 garlic and herb infused duck fat. Oh, that's awesome! It it definitely sounds uh pretty good. <laughs> I've I've even I've even known some chefs go a little crazy and they'll they'll fry their French fries in duck fat. Oh well, that must taste really good though. It must give out that great flavor. <laughs> yeah, they're like ten dollar French fries. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> so uh, my last question for our, our listeners out there who might not be interested in uh, culinary arts, what, what would be some good tips for people who want to start cooking at home? Like how like just they want they were new at cooking. Um. Well, uh, I started out. Um, Actually, I did when I was younger. I watched uh, the, the the few uh, cooking shows on television, uh, even as a child, and I would pick up a lot of uh, tips. Um, 
I would um, get. I would start with a basic uh, cookbooks, um, go over them, learn them, uh, understand the concepts behind it, and uh, really just kind of work those uh, uh, recipes over in your mind, and then kind of make a when you when the first time you're ready to to, to try something, make like I said, go ahead, make your plan for it. Imagine the setup, your mise en place for it, because that will take a lot of pressure off you. You have everything you need at hand, and you understand that recipe, then you'll be more relaxed, uh, less nervous, and uh, more likely to be successful uh, with your with, with your new uh, with your new dish that you're trying. It sounds great. And my advice to uh, new people who are starting to cook is don't be afraid to try new things. Um, and you might have a recipe that is very good for you, but step out of your comfort zone and try new things because you might ne- you might not never know how good your food is until you start making new things. Do you agree with me, sir? That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, you might, you know, everybody has their comfort zone and their comfort foods, um, but uh, you should never be afraid to, like I said, being part of being a chef is being an explorer, an explorer of foods. And sometimes that even requires you to get up out of your house, get on a plane and go to a different uh, city or even country uh, to, to see and uh, experience new smells, new tastes, new styles. And uh, so being, uh, being part, of, part of being a chef is being an explorer of foods. And people. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, very, very true, and I definitely uh, agree with that answer. Now, we've got another question from someone in our chat room, and they want to know, if you could cook and eat only one meal forever, what would it be? <laughs> I have uh, that. Uh, I was like, uh, people ask me, um, uh, what what's my what's my what's my favorite dish to cook? And uh, I I tell them well I said you know I'm 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 very proficient in uh, Cajun uh, Cajun styles, uh, uh, Oriental foods, uh, continental, French cuisine. I can do most anything that you got Creole. I don't know now I'm becoming more fluent in uh, in Cuban cuisines. And I looked him right in the eye and said, but if I really want to impress you, I'll do a Texas barbecue. Oh, nice. That's good, Texas barbecue. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that, I, could, I could probably, you know, have that potato salad, the, the beans, the coleslaw, brisket, and uh Barbecued ribs, I, I I I could do that the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> awesome for me. If I had to have one meal every single uh, day of, the, of my rest of my life, I'd have to have Italian food because I'm Italian and I I think Italian food is pretty awesome. Oh, I uh, I I love a I love a big plate of spaghetti and uh, with Italian sausage. Um, I I could eat that. I I never get tired of a I never get tired of a nice plate of spaghetti. Nice. That that actually would make a nice video of you showing how to make homemade sausages. Oh yeah, yeah, that would work. 
Because I know homemade sausages are very popular up here. I'm not sure if they'd be popular in Florida, but everyone loves a good homemade sausage. Uh, I don't... Well, I'm not... I'm not... Uh, I wouldn't be comfortable with you making a... Well, if I was going to make sausage, I'd have to do it in the restaurant. I couldn't do it... I couldn't make the sausage at home and then bring it to the restaurant because then you... You, there's a liability factor, but in the in the restaurant scenario, uh, you know, given the time and resources to make sausage in the restaurant, just like making fresh pasta in the restaurant, is is always the optimal idea, you know. But uh, not many chefs have those kinds of res- resources in their restaurant. Yeah, it's actually uh, very sad that most chefs don't have those kinds of resources. I make fresh pasta once in a while. I haven't been doing it as often as I used to a couple of years ago. I don't. I don't. I have. I've been down here for two years, and I've not even seen one of those large Hobart mixers down here in any restaurant. Oh hell, so, that's shocking. Yeah. Well, I mean, because. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, that really that that tears me up because I love to make uh, uh, I love to make pizzas, and um, it's 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 kind of hard to make a, a a good pizza dough without a good mixer. I know you'd have to use your hands, and you'd be killing your hands trying to knead all that dough. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I mean, especially if you're going to be cooking for hundreds of people. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> So you know, there's I I still have a wish list and uh, you know things to accomplish and uh, hopefully maybe uh, one of those Hobart mixers will be on uh, on my uh, <laughs> on my uh, to do list. I hope you get a Hobart mixer because those mixers are awesome. You can make a lot of things in them. I'm not sure why Florida doesn't have them. I'm sure you guys should get them pretty soon. I hope your uh, your your boss brings in a Hobart mixer for you. Yeah, well. Uh, like I said, the season is coming to a close. We're going to be able to catch our breath, and uh, we're going to be able to uh, revamp even more uh, in our restaurant so that next year we don't have to go through some of the horrific trials we had to go through this year, you know, and uh, maybe better, you know, I could be better staff, have even a better menu uh, set up in this have even better equipment so that even next year we'll do better than we did this year. Sounds sounds great. Sounds like something that's going to be uh, fantastic for you. Now, any of our listeners, if you have any questions you'd like to ask our chef, George Sherrell, please go ahead and call in at 1-347-989-8142 or post them in the live chat room and we'll make sure to get your uh, questions answered. So in the meantime, do you have any recipes you want to share with us, uh, Chef George? Oh, uh, I was wondering. Did you want to share some? Because you know I always have some. Yeah, I'll share. I'll start us off. I'll share my favorite recipe, and this is my uh, delicious chicken parmesan recipe, which is like one of my favorite um, meals of all time. So I'll share my chicken parm recipe, and I guess I'll share my uh, wonderful um, chicken marsala recipe too. So for my chicken parmesan, this is enough to feed six people. So, obviously, if you have a bigger family, you would just double the ingredients. So, I use two pounds of chicken, which is usually, usually um, I buy already uh, 
prepackaged chicken, so all I gotta do is pound it thin and bread it. So usually my chicken that I get from my grocery store usually has about um, six pieces of boneless chicken breast. So if you use two pounds, that'll be two packages. That's enough for each person to have two chickens. So what you do is you take the chickens, you pound them out really thin. That way they're, they don't uh, take forever to cook, and they cook evenly on both sides, and they're fully cooked. So once you pound it out, you're then going to take a couple of eggs. I use about three or four eggs with some heavy cream, and I also season that mixture with a little bit of salt and pepper and some Italian seasoning. Mix that up, and then you're going to combine a bowl of flour, some fresh or dry herbs, and salt and pepper, and that'll be your uh, flour mixture. And then you would use um, breadcrumbs. I use panko breadcrumbs because I like the crunch, but you can use homemade breadcrumbs, or you can use Italian-style breadcrumbs that you can find at your grocery store. So essentially what we're doing for chicken parmesan is we're using a three-stage breading, and the reason we have the eggs and the flour is to make sure that the breadcrumbs stick to the chicken. That way they don't fall off during cooking. So what you're going to do is you're going to start by dredging your chicken in the eggs and then in the flour, and then you want to repeat it back in the eggs. And finally, you would want to place that into the breadcrumbs and set that aside on a cookie tray until you bread all the chickens. Then what I do is I put the chickens in the fridge for 25 minutes so that the breading would become more stable and it would stick to the chicken and, and let it rest for a little while. That way uh, it would you would ensure yourself that it would stay even when you put it in your frying pan. So while your chicken is in the, fr in the refrigerator for 25 minutes, you want to start preheating your f deep fryer if you have one. I, I'm lucky enough to have a Presto deep fryer so I can deep fry my chicken. But if you don't have a deep fryer, you can obviously use a big enough skillet and fill it halfway with some oil and heat it up. Now, you obviously want to wait till your oil is exactly hot. It has to be really hot to fry those chicken. Otherwise, the breadcrumbs are going to become really soggy. So it's really important to make sure that your oil is up to temperature. I like to, I like to go 375 when I'm frying things like chicken. So... Once your oil is at 375, you can place your chicken in there. And I cook mine six minutes per side, so a total of 12 minutes cooking time. And then I place it in the 350-degree oven for about five minutes to make sure it is fully cooked. And then I use some marinara sauce, my homemade marinara sauce. Or you can use a good quality jarred sauce. It's up to you. Um, if you're doing this on a weekday, I'd probably recommend using a jarred sauce to save yourself some time because I know a lot of you guys are working. If you're a chef or if you have a different career, you probably don't have time to make a marinara sauce, so you can just use a simple uh, jarred sauce. And up here, we're lucky because in Massachusetts, we can buy marinara sauce from our local Italian restaurant that is that specializes in homemade food. They actually sell uh, their own bottled marinara sauce, their own bottled Alfredo sauce, and their old bottled Marsala sauce, so we're lucky in that sense. So it helps us lazy people up here in Mass, so we can even buy a a bottle of uh, marinara sauce from your restaurant if you wanted to. Um, so you take your marinara sauce, you place that on top of your chicken after you pull it out of the oven, and you add your cheese. You want to use an Italian cheese because it tastes better. I've seen people using cheddar cheese and uh, American cheese and uh, Monterey Jack cheese and chicken parm. I guess it probably would be good, but I usually don't like to step out of uh, Italian traditions with an Italian recipe because it, it, really, it really doesn't really seem like it'll taste good to me. 
but I usually use provolone, mozzarella, and sometimes I would use um, Parmesan cheese on top as well. And then you place that back in the oven for 12 minutes until the cheese is golden brown and you're ready to serve that delicious chicken Parmesan. Now you can serve that chicken Parmesan with pasta, with uh, couscous if you are on a healthier side, or you can even serve it with a salad and some dinner rolls. So there's a lot of ways you can serve that chicken parm that I gave you. Or you can even serve it as a grinder, believe it or not, too. That would work as work wonders, too, for you guys as well. So that is my chicken parmesan. Now, if you're on a healthier side and you don't like deep-fried foods, you can easily just put this breaded chicken in the oven and cook it for three, uh, 325 degrees Fahrenheit for about 20 minutes, and you've got a good chicken parm as well. It still tastes the same as if it was deep fried as well. Um, I, w I would suggest adding a little bit of oil to the bottom of the cookie tray so that it gets that steam that would crisp up the uh, breadcrumbs. But that is a good way to make chicken parmesan too. And finally, my last recipe is another one of my favorites, and that is uh, chicken marsala. Again, you would need two pounds of chicken. You would need about a pound and a half of mushrooms or more. If you love mushrooms, use more mushrooms. You can use shallots, but I choose to use a uh, onion because I'm an onion fan. I use one onion, but if you're going to use shallots, I'd probably use a pack of them because a lot of people like shallots. But it's up to you, personal preference, though. Um, then you would also need a cup of marsala wine, a half cup of um, beef or chicken stock. It doesn't matter. They're both going to come out the same. And some fresh oregano and some fresh basil. And I know basil sounds like a weird ingredient in chicken marsala, but trust me, I put it in. I, I tried it out one day, and I actually fell in love with it. Uh, the basil adds like a nice, uh, almost minty taste to the uh, marsala sauce, and I actually like it like that. So um, what you do is you dredge your chicken in flour. You can either cut the chicken up in little chunks if you want like a... Uh, um, casserole-style marsala, or you can leave them whole and pound them thin uh, and dredge them in flour and saute them in a hot skillet with a little bit of olive oil for three minutes per side. Don't worry if the chicken is not fully cooked because it will fully cook in the sauce. And then remove it from the pan, save the drippings because that's going to uh, be the glaze with marsala wine in a little bit. A lot of people like to uh, throw all those strippings away when they're making things like chicken marsala, and it just makes me upset because that's where all the flavor is at. So what you want to do is add your mushrooms and add your onions or shallots and any other vegetables you have. I know a good friend of mine who used to be a chef likes to add celery and uh, tomatoes to his marsala, and I kind of think it really doesn't taste good. Uh, it doesn't taste good in my opinion, but he likes it, so it's personal preference what you like in your marsala. Some people add to cherry tomatoes. I know a lot of Italians like to add cherry tomatoes when they're in season. I like it too, uh, but cherry tomatoes up here are really expensive when they're not in season, so generally I try to stay away from them. But they're almost in season now, so that's a good sign, a good thing, so I might be able to pick some up. Now, after you have sauteed your mushrooms and onions, you're obviously going to want to pour your marsala wine in. And let that deglaze for about 10 minutes. Add in your, um, what do you call that? Add in your chicken or beef stock and let that deglaze some more. Now, if your sauce is really, really thin, which it should not be because you have floured your chicken and essentially you have created a roux, um, you could add a little bit more flour. But I would mix a little bit of uh, cold butter in with the flour, and that would create what we call a roux. And you can mix that 
that butter cube that has been dotted with flour into your sauce, and that'll that'll thicken it up just a little tad bit. But generally, if you have enough flour on your chicken and you leave the uh, the bits of flavor from the flour and the chicken, you should have enough roux in there to uh, make your sauce a little bit thick. And if your sauce is really watery, that means you use either too much marsala or too much beef stock. So that is my delicious chicken marsala. And, again, that has a lot of uh, things you can serve it with. You can serve it with um, pasta, rice, mashed potatoes, uh, roasted potatoes, anything you want, really. So those are my two recipes, chicken parm and uh, chicken marsala. What do you think of those, Chef? Oh, those are very classic. I, I learned those recipes a uh, long time ago. I'm a cla- I am a classically trained Italian saute and saucier. Um, and just for a, a, a little a tip for people at home, because it's something I do uh, when I'm making a, a, a spaghetti dish uh, at home, pasta dish, is um, uh, if you're using a canned or a bottled uh, uh, marinara sauce, it usually it really does pay off. I guess that just for economic reasons, they don't put they tend not to put quite enough salt or sugar in the in the sauce, or maybe they 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 they, they cook it a long time, but maybe not long enough. So because most of the uh, canned products um, tend to be a, a little acidic. And so what I do is I'll, I'll buy a dollar, uh, you know, like a Hunt's uh, marinara, and I'll add just like um, a teaspoon of sugar, a pinch of salt, some uh, chopped garlic, and an Italian herb blend uh, in it, and it just absolutely transforms that sauce into a really good sauce. And so I mean, it's, it's quick, it's easy, and you end up with, you know, with, a, with a much better product. And... Um, as far as cooking pasta, you know, for people at home, when you're uh, cooking your pastas, you always want to oil and salt your water. Make sure you have enough. If you're going to cook, a, a, say, a pound of uh, linguine or vermicelli, you want to make make, make a good uh, gallon-sized um, saucepan full of water. Add your salt, add your oil every time. Bring that water up to a boil before you uh, add your pasta, and it, I always use a pair of tongs, or there there's some nifty uh, uh, pasta uh, utensils out there on the market now. But make sure you stand over that pasta and and uh, churn it so that pasta doesn't stick together, uh, and so it you know, so it doesn't clump up. And um, you have to test your when your pasta starts to soften up and you think it's almost ready, what you want to do is because you want your pasta to be el dente. And el dente literally means to the tooth. You want to, when you bite into your pasta, you want to have just a little bit of resistance there. You don't want that pasta to be mushy. So you uh, taste, uh, take a piece of pasta out, bite into it. If it's still too hard, you know, you've got a few minutes left to go. You know, and then when when you when you feel just that right kind of resistance in your pasta, your pasta is done. So you want to be able to take that pasta out of water, have a colander in your sink, and pour that uh, pasta out, and uh, rinse it to keep it from overcooking. 
and then uh, you can bring that pasta back up to temp by just running it under some hot water or having another uh, pot of hot water available just to shock it before you serve it. Awesome. It's a very good tip for our listeners, and it's very important that you use oil and salt so they don't stick when it cooks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So, do you have a? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was. You're, you're talking about a marsala and a and a chicken parmesan and Franken foods. I actually blended a, uh, one of my classic dishes, Italian dishes, last week with uh, some local fish. I did a, a grilled yellowtail uh, Tuscan pasta dish, and what I did oh, is wow. I had. I did um, have your. Uh, I served it over a pepper fettuccine, and uh, you way you make your Tuscan sauce is you want to take uh, some cherry tomatoes, uh, some portobellos, red onions, and uh, julienne them. Well, to, uh, cut your cherry tomatoes in half. You want to take your portobellos and your red onions and julienne them, and uh, have. Um, some sliced black olives. You want to toss those into a saute pan with just a little bit of um, butter, chopped garlic, pinch of salt, and I personally like to use cracked red pepper. You want to start them sauteing off once they start to cook a little bit. Uh, then you're going to hit that with about a quarter cup of white wine. Let those vegetables go ahead and soak up that flavor, cook off some of that alcohol, let that wine reduce. Then you're going to hit that with uh, some uh, heavy cream, about a cup and a half. Bring that up to temperature. Hit it with a little bit of uh, whole thyme and oregano and basil. And then you're going to add about half a teaspoon of beef base to that uh, white wine sauce to give it a nice uh, beige color. Come back up to temp again, and you want to have a little bit of roux to tie it up so that that uh, it uh, finishes up with a nice nappe consistency. Nappe is uh, a thickness of a sauce that uh, is when you dip a you'll dip a spoon into that uh, sauce, pull it out, and the sauce sticks to the side of that spoon but doesn't drip off. That's called nappe. All right, so now you have your Tuscan sauce. You'll, you'll uh, pour that over uh, a nice plate of uh, fettuccine or linguine either and then top it off with um, the fresh fresh uh, yellowtail. And uh, I sold out of that uh, last week uh, in almost record time. People just went absolutely crazy over that one. That sounds actually pretty good. I'm a big seafood fan, and I love I love pasta, of course. So I think I'm going to try that. It sounds pretty good, Chef. Oh, it was fabulous. It was, uh, and uh, I had a lot of comments that they yeah, that should be on the menu as a regular. But right now, I don't have the talent in the kitchen uh, to like, you know, should I ever have a day off, someone else is at the saute kitchen. I'm not. I don't. We don't have the talent right right now in that kitchen to produce a, a consistency 
that I would that I'd be uh, happy with. I have a feeling so. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. I'm gonna have to make it myself. It's you know, it's, it's, it's an easy dish. It's, it's a it's a it's a quick easy dish. It it takes about the same amount of time as a marsala or a piccata. Nice. Well, this has been a fantastic show. I had a lot of fun tonight. I'm pretty sure our, our listeners did, too. So we're going to go ahead and take our final commercial break, which is being sponsored by our lovely non-fish-keeping friends. And when we come back from this sponsor, we're going to wrap up this phenomenal show. This is awesome that we are able to have an awesome chef with us here on the Ace Network. So this commercial break is being sponsored by Cheesecakes by Design, who has some creamy and moist cheesecakes for your needs, Jambox, Siteman Cancer Center, and all of our wonderful sponsors. We're also going to hear another song uh, by ELO, and this song is called Bring Me Down. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up this great show. So a wonderful show, and we'll be right back, folks. Are you looking for something creamy, moist, and decadent in your life? Do you have a sweet tooth? Well, cheesecakes are the answer for you. Cheesecake by Design offers you a wide variety of cheesecakes and some wonderful flavors. At Cheesecake by Design, you will find a flavor just for you. Whatever it be. A red velvet cheesecake. A strawberry cheesecake. Or a cookies and cream cheesecake. We have tons of flavors to fit your needs. We ship fresh cheesecakes all over the United States straight to your door. So next time you're hosting a party, a family get-together, or a cookout, and you need dessert, order a delicious, moist, creamy cheesecake from Cheesecake by Design. Our cheesecakes are always homemade and made with the freshest possible ingredients. Check out our website and call 336 525-5120 with any questions or to place an order. Choosing guitar accessories can be expensive and time-consuming, but it doesn't have to be. Jambox will deliver the necessities right to your front door. Jambox is great for players of any age and all experience levels. Try new brands, new products, and get your jam on. Order a jam box today at www.jamboxcanada.ca. Here at Kimsell Federal Credit Union, we offer a free mobile banking app, no ATM fees, free online banking, and free bill pay, all for your convenience. Visit us online at www.kimsell.org. That's www.chemcel.org. Visit our local branch at 1901 South Highway 77 in Kingsville, Texas, or call us at 361-592-7767. Kimsell Federal Credit Union, we're here for you. Member NCUA. Discover Romanian business opportunities. Our TV show offers free information about domestic entrepreneurial environment, interviews, and more. Don't miss it. The Seidman Cancer Center is committed to improving the health of our community and has developed a program called Eight Ways to Prevent Cancer. By making these eight simple lifestyle changes, you can help reduce your risk of getting cancer, maintain a healthy weight, exercise regularly, eat a healthy diet, don't smoke, drink alcohol in moderation, 
Protect yourself from the sun and STDs and get regular screening tests. Take control of your health. Visit the Seidman Cancer Center exhibit for more information. Seidman Cancer Center, national leaders in cancer. Do you enjoy listening to Ace Network? Do you want to know more about Ace Network? Then join our Facebook group called Ace Network Fan Group. In this group, you can post your thoughts on today's show. You can post your thoughts on anything aquarium-related, cooking-related, sports, WWE-related, anything PG-13. So the next time you're on Facebook, search for the Ace Network Fan Group. Click Join. You can also friend Alex Cardinelli on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at AlexCardinelli1. And don't forget, our show page is blogtalk.com forward slash Alex Card Network. And please enjoy our shows.
Kira back here live on the Cooking with Alice Cardinelli, presented to you by the Alice Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. And today we had a fantastic show. This is a great way to start the Chef George and Roll Hour series on Ace Network. This is a fantastic uh, show. So, Chef George, you did a great job today, sir. Well, thank you, Alex. I'm glad to be back. And uh, it took a few moments for me to find my groove, but I... uh, found, <laughs> I'm back. I'm back, and I'm happy to be back with you. This has been a fun show. Awesome! I know. I, I love working with you back on the Chef Cornelli Cooking Show in 2013, and I'm more than honored to have you on the Ace Network in 2015. So it's been a nice two-year friendship. Oh, it's been great. Yeah, it's it's really uh really good. So uh, I, I was thinking next week we can talk about spring foods if you want. Spring foods. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, I'll have a week uh, to pull up some menus and uh, probably introduce a couple more specials I'm going to be doing next week. Awesome. And then the week after that, we can talk about knives, and you can do a video for uh, knives next week, the week after uh, we do the spring foods. Yeah, I'm going to to get after that here uh, starting next week. Awesome. Sounds great. So I want to thank you for being a great host tonight. You did a fantastic job. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, I really enjoyed doing it. Awesome. You have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Alex. All right. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, listening to this uh, fantastic show. I hope you guys enjoyed our show. Remember, Chef George Norell is going to be on the Ace Network every single Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And next Friday, live at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're going to talk exclusively about spring foods now that spring has finally arrived. So make sure you guys tune in for that as Chef George and I share our wonderful spring recipes with you guys next Friday here on the uh, Ace Network. Also, we're going to be doing our next episode of Cooking with South Cardinelli this Sunday, April 12th, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, and I'll be talking about the delicious red velvet cake this Saturday, this Sunday. So hopefully you guys will tune in for that. So thank you all for listening to the show. Today's episode of Cooking with Alice Cardinelli and the Alice Cardinelli Show is being brought to you by Cheesecakes by Design, your place for creamy, moist, and delicious cheesecakes. They ship your cheesecakes anywhere in the United States of America, right to your front door. So if you're looking for a delicious cheesecake, check out our sponsor, Cheesecakes by Design, and they're happy to serve your cheesecake for your birthday party or whatever you have for a celebration. So thank you, Cheesecakes by Design, for sponsoring this great show and sponsoring Cooking with Alice Cardinelli and the Alice Cardinelli Show. With that being said, have a great rest of your Friday night, and thank you for spending close to two hours with Alex and Chef George. We both appreciate it, and we'll see you next Friday on our next episode of Chef George Norell Hour. Have a great weekend, everyone, and good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Alex Cardinelli Show here on Ace Network. Alex hopes you enjoyed the show. Please check us out every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our weekly talk show that will cover anything and everything. Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Chef George Morello Hour. Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern for our fun 
Saturday night live and every other Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern for Cooking with Al Cardinelli, where you'll get tasty and delicious recipes. Share today's show on your Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus account by copying and pasting our show URL to your account so that your friends can listen to our awesome talk show. Have a great night. Alex Perinelli's show on Ace is now off the air. And show. Podcast belongs to the Ace Network, Alice Cardinelli Entertainment Network. It may not be reused, redistributed without permission from Alice Cardinelli himself. This podcast was recorded live from the Springfield, Massachusetts studio and Ace Network.